And hello and welcome back to Artistically Ours Newcast Podcast, the podcast where I talk to neurodivergent people, giving them a voice and platform to tell them their stories and raise issues that are important to them in a way unlike any other place. On today's podcast, which is late coming out to the scheduled uh, releases as due to a set, trying to different setups for the podcast recording and production stu- studio area and to get, get on back on top of things it'll be a bit of a you know playing cats up at a minute but today's episode is with Tessa McEnvoy. Tessa has, is autistic as bipolar disorder and has apraxia so this interview is me talking to them about the apraxia diagnosis and what apraxia is. This interview also touches on the experience of uh, being an adoptee, but come, like being an adoptee in a family where they have family trauma and family issues where they have uh, experience of uh, Tessa being felt like being gaslighted, manipulated, and being exploited in ways that will complain her. So, uh, as I said, the bit of a disclaimer that as this, uh, you know, like family trauma and like upset there, but uh, it is quite important in quite interesting chat as we talk about apraxia in a field of employment to what support employees can give and people should understand at the process of being interviewed as well as what support could be given to people with apraxia in education and school. This most, uh, mostly focuses on uh, mo- motor oral or most, yeah, something like that, uh, apraxia which complete in the interview and as I said we'll get straight into this interview, hope you enjoy. Hello, my name is Tessa McAvoy. I am 22 years old. I am a recently estranged adoptee who has who's currently gone through some adoption trauma because I am an autistic, apraxic, bipolar individual and as a disabled person, it is hard to get my story believed because in this society taken seriously and are and are told that not and get told that they that they need that they need tough love, that they should be thankful for somebody to take care of them, but in reality, disabled individuals have the exact same rights as everybody else does, and that they can say no, and that we also can have expectations of what we want versus what we, what we don't want. So it seems like, as you said, you've been diagnosed with apraxia, uh, autism, and bipolar, but it seems with your uh, disabilities, your cognitive disabilities, you know, with divergencies, you have a lot of trauma involved. And I guess that's from your upbringing and your care from when you were like from your childhood. What was it like before you got diagnosed and that experience of like living as neurodivergent and struggling throughout your childhood? Yes. Yeah, so when I was living at home, a lot that's. In, in, the 20, in 2020, when I was 20 years old, that is when a lot of the abuse took place. I was physically manipulated in the, do, in the making artwork for my, for my mother. Ironically, she is a child PhD, 
and walks with children, but she manipulated me to make my Facebook page called a practice story after I got kicked out of study abroad so that she can use it to market her book and compete. And she wanted me to compete with a top influencer, which I found creepy within itself. So that is an example of mistreatment I received. I also got my physical space violated and I got my room searched constantly. My mom also came into my room unannounced, even though I made it clear that I not do any drugs and she knew that I didn't do any drugs either because my because she knew she knew to like identify my skin. She knew to look at my skin texture and smell my breath if she suspected anything, but she did not. It wasn't your idea to start the Epoxia Story blog. I started my Epoxia Story blog in 2020. It, it originally featured stories about what it's like living with a speech disability and how people would judge my intellect on my speech on my speech disability rather than judge my intellect based on my talents my my desires and just my just my and just my skills alone so it was your idea that you started it or was it that you said that you know you were influenced or persuaded by mother on a basis to as you were saying to promote the book or her work yeah, that is exactly. My mom used me to promote her book. She was like, Tessa, when you get famous, you buy me Mother's Day brunch and I will ride your coattails. That was tough too, because I was just saying that that's your story and your life. You know, like your story of apraxia and what you say about autism and your mental health struggles. It's something so personal to you and it's you some, something you hold so personal and that's something that you should be able to have control or agency over and not dictated how to tell your story or when to tell it. So I guess yeah. it must have been a struggle when starting that blog. It definitely was a struggle because if I posted something my mom did not like, I was forced to delete it and I was forced to edit my posts because like what would happen is if I said, like, if I actually told an authentic story, which actually happened once when I told a story of getting kicked out of an event, my mom thought I was lying and that it made me look bad. So she made me, forced me to delete it, and she sent me 20 texts. Then she yelled at me. Then she like, got really angry with me. When she got back from her vacation, she got really angry, and like, and like, would intimidate me so much that I could not get out, that I could not leave my room to even get food, because every time I left my room, my mom would hunt me down physically in the house. So how does it feel like when you're like talking to me right now after going through all this? So how does it feel like to be able to like, no, you're saying all this personally and you know, like you're opening up about your own trauma. You can have more control and agency of your own words. As I can tell, this is stuff that you, your mother wouldn't want you to talk about. So how does yeah. it feel now to have some sort of control and agency over what you're saying. Thank you so much for asking that question. It actually feels amazing because my mom controlled how I talked about my disability. She did not want an autistic daughter. And if I left my mouth open like this, like wide open in the old shape, my mom would ask me, how disabled would how disabled would you like to be today? And I and I first find it so amazing to be able to talk to you, and just be able to just say, and just be able to say like what's going on, versus having to stay silent or follow my mom's narrative about what who I am and what I do. My mom treated me like like a show pig, like a trophy. I mean, this is something totally different to the conversations I had previously because most of the guests have 
come to the point where they started to like started tearing the story on the basis of their own controller needs and um, will will amount to a startiness. And then you come from a difficult different angle of having that like the starting process of doing it to actually you know be not went into one being like forced into it as you kind of hinting that the only like way that your mother wanted you to be positive about your disability is for for it to be used at your own advantage and for it to benefit and capitalize off your own disability and I guess that's where a lot of the trauma came from you and your experience of your negative experience with the relationship that you have with your mother. Yes, that is exactly where a lot of my trauma came from. I was you were right about mentioning how like the negative relationship really impacted my stress levels. And I just and I just like and I just find the whole entire thing with my mom very just like very stressful and that is exactly why I left yeah because my mom would just like most mostly just like in- intimidate me and she would mostly just like yeah she mostly just would like just like tell me that I'm not disabled and that I'm making stuff up in my head my aunt even told me it, she is a fourth grade teacher who teaches special ed she's like Tessa you are so depressed that the abuse is in your head oh and I couldn't tell that's hard for you that it wasn't just your mother that you know, was manipulating you, gaslighting you, and yeah. emotionally abusing you, but it was of a members in your family. And like as I said, the thing is that your auntie specialised in uh, supporting spe- people with special education needs or neurodivergent conditions like yourself. And I guess that was quite concerning to hear of others in her position, she would work with neurodivergent people complicit in emotional trauma and abuse. That is so correct. I was like really traumatized, especially when my aunt, especially knowing that my aunt is a fourth grade teacher. And now I'm like really concerned for her children, for her classmates, her class, because what if one of her class, one of, one of, one of, her, one of her students says that, that they're being abused? And what if my aunt says the abuse is in your head? That would really traumatize a student, and that is why I'm like very worried for her students right now. She is an award-winning yeah. teacher, ironically. And I guess that like sends alarm bells ringing, and it's quite concerned for you that she uh, she's award-winning teacher, and she's complicit in all this. And then it's like something that like she's still working in the profession, and then you like concerned and empathize for the children that she works with. Yeah, it's definitely scary how compliant she is with my mom. My entire family is under my mom's spell. They think that my mom, they think that my mom is the best thing that ever happened to me and that I should be less, less than lucky because she flew halfway across the world to, to pick me up from China. And my family believes that I should be so grateful for somebody, for a mother who came into my life to be so supportive of somebody with disabilities. That's what my family tells me. Every time I every time I told them I don't tell my mom, that's exactly what they told me. It's how lucky I am as an adoptee. I was saying was your adopted mother then and like your adopted family. My adopted life started out really good. However, during lockdown it really declined because my family showed the true colours when we were all stuck in the house together. And I guess it's then difficult after then your adopted family, the one that's supposed to chosen you and 
cared for you and would have gone through all the different yeah. steps to prove to get you. And then all this trauma and abuse, you know, happened. Yeah, it was really stressful to leave because I knew that my mom would pay for my mom paid for the rent, the utilities, the food, the drinks, my phone bill. She paid for everything in my life. But now that I'm on my own, I have paid for everything, which is really scary. It's quite difficult then because, as you say, it's been autistic and it would diverge and things can be quite a big thing. And especially like, as you said, you've gone through trauma and just to find a way of dealing with it and break with your family. And then and I can tell that must have been quite lonely and difficult time for you mm. just to start out again. So what was it like that moment when you decided to depart from your, your family and start in a and you know, what was the moment when you finally thought, I need to leave this situation for the better of myself? It was actually very scary at first. It was actually very off-putting, I meant to say, because it took yeah. me six tries. Every time I tried leaving, my mom would suddenly turn nice. She would treat me with lavish food, lavish restaurants, and this would spoil me. But then I saw her true colors again, and I knew I had to get out. I honestly, when I first moved out, I honestly found myself really scared because I was not sure what was going to happen for the rest of my life because my mom's house was the only house I knew. Unfortunately, when I moved out, I ended up in a very abusive roommate situation in Alabama. But fortunately, I managed to leave that situation because I could just, because she was acting, because my past roommate was acting just like my mother was really controlling, manipulative, and would control who, how I, when and where I use my phone. Like, for example, when I was at the casino, my roommate was like, you're at the casino. My past roommate was like, put your phone away, Tessa. You're at the casino. And I had to watch her sit down and watch her play slot machines for hours on end. That is how abusive and corrosive my last roommate was in Alabama. Oh, yeah, as I said, start, even then, you know, when you moved out and you wanted to be able to start an independent life away from your family, then your roommate was uh, manipulative and trying to control your life. And I guess that's one of the negative experiences autistic neurodivergent people can have when they come from a place of trauma and then start an independent life nor as a matter of uh, choice but when they forced into it. and then you know one thing that I would think it's not a treat of being autistic to be manipulated but it's common yeah. experience and uh, because okay. of like yeah it's common experience of how autistic people are manipulated and I guess this is something you desperately want to speak about how, uh, you know, the ableism in a, in a more emotional manipulation that autistic people can have experience. That is so correct. I found that I found that when I was leaving my abusive Alabama roommate, people told me, why are you doing that to her? Why are you just leaving her? Because she treated you so well, she was never mean to you. They said she was never mean to you. She treated you so well. You should be lucky that somebody took you in. And as, as disabled, as mentally ill as you are, you should be lucky that somebody took you in. And, and somebody did tell me saying that you're so mentally ill that you, that, you can, that, you don't, that you cannot trust your gut feeling because your gut feeling is part of your mental illness. And why do you do that to your roommate? So that's like part of the ableism is people saying, is people telling me that I am 
making stuff up and that my gut feeling is wrong because I'm disabled and that I'm bipolar and mentally ill. thing is that trauma and abuse and what people are saying about your mental illness and not listening to you will, would only make your mental illness worse and, your own, and can add to the pain of trauma that you experienced then because people are not listening to you. And as you were saying about people telling you that you, you were lucky to have like like a family that at all. And it's like supposed to be the bare minimum of having a family or like having people who can support you and love you. And, and as I said, you didn't have that. And it's something that disabled people should expect and experience. But yet somehow it just doesn't happen often or not. Yes. And when you said that family is bare minimum, it just like really shows just how family oriented our culture is. And you said like, and you said a part about like how, about how disabled people get so manipulated. That is like really correct because, yeah, because like as a disabled individual, people try to manipulate how I should be feeling. For some examples, people say, Tessa, you need to be quiet. That music is not that loud. That balloon is not that scary. That thunder should not scare you. And... That firework is not that loud. Of course, it would make you sad because, as you're saying, that you have these experiences that, no, like as people say, no one knows what's going on in one person's life. And so it's people who were not li- directly listening to you. And this what can happen to a lot of people when people around them, you know, not directly listening to you, but trying to project, you know, their feelings on, like, it's not that bad and trying to, can you force you into making it feel better when you know it only makes matters worse and they're not not listening to that for anybody with mental illness and they would emergency or any disability can it's just so hard and upsetting to go for and now as you can tell it has been for you it really is hard and because of how people deny my feelings throughout my life, that is why I ended up in another abusive situation because I was told taught to be compliant and to say yes, 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 and ignore my own gut feeling because I was told that my own gut feeling was just was just wrong because of my sensory processing disorder. And if I did not like the situation, I should suck it up and put up with it. As I said, for having like sensory processing disorder, autism, and any world divergence condition like that it's then hard it's almost impossible if you don't have the condition for like a verse to know where to begin to empathize and like if you're not willing to listen then of course they won't try to understand and it's like all you need to know be able to have is some people to understand and are you in a position where you're like starting to have people around you in the present day that are beginning to listen and understand you. Yeah, it's like it's it's like so hard to get anybody to believe me or understand me. My speech disability makes everything worse because like when I try saying when I try articulating my trauma, people think I'm just lying because people just like think I'm like just making stuff up because they think that they think that I'm very immature and that I'm just a path and that I just like to make stuff up just to tell a good story. As I was saying about your speech disorder, I think if like people can see a person's speaking or like who does speak at times and who isn't totally non-speaking I think then you know like people who are ignorant or don't want to learn about somebody's abilities and disabilities then you know people find it hard to understand uh you know it's like a speech uh, condition and this 
Ryan's in Munster with us podcast is trying to get through people, through conversations, people to understand things. So tell me about, like, why your speech condition is and why Paxia is, so people can start to understand it for people who don't already understand. That is a really great question. My apraxia is the inability to articulate words and it's hard for me to get my thoughts to my thoughts and my, my mind and my mouth to work together like for example if i'm thinking of the word cat the word cat often gets stuck in my throat because i cannot figure out how to make the right lip movements then on top of that then on top of that apraxia really impacts my job prospects because whenever i try doing an interview in person the interviewer does not take me seriously or the interviewer did not like have the idea of having such a mentally disturbed and disabled person in the store. So that's why that's like why I, that's why I like have a hard time getting jobs. And the reason why I ended up in my first retail job was because they were so desperate for cashiers that they hired just about anybody from the street. However, that job was not a good fit, which is which is like a story for another time. But going back to apraxia, I I was dying. I I ended up getting diagnosed as an apraxic individual. When I was like, back when I was like two years old, because I couldn't speak very easily. And the only two words I could say when I was four years old was moo and ma. And I didn't start speaking in sentences until I was like eight years old and conversations when I was 12. And when I got when I was 12. And I guess that's hard then for you to be able to develop with having support in place if you didn't have the uh, right people to advocate for you. Like, when, like, so it would have been easier to, like, know how to, like, have the skills in place just to know how to work, like, an interview with, like, being disabled and know how to get the right accommodations in place. But as you say about having interviews, like job interviews, being disabled and having a newer developmental disability like autism and apraxia is that when it comes to the uh, workplace and retail, that communication is something that's still expected to be a key thing to do. And it's still now in the place for when if you got a different like speaking ability and you know like speaking disabilities there's not much in place for you to be able to you know uh, be able to do that job successfully without having challenges and difficulties so when you were doing a job what were uh, doing the interviews what were the things that if you were uh, you know like people who were trying like doing interviews and your employees employers didn't understand that you wish they knew well the things that as an employer people should know when they're employing and interviewing somebody with epoxia or speech uh, disability yes and i unfortunately did not receive any accommodations instead i received harassment and bullying because nobody thought i was smart enough to nobody thought i was smart enough to ever do the tasks that ever meet expectations and nobody thought i was good enough to be their friend. So in high school and middle school, instead of getting accommodated, people just increased their expectations and didn't harass me if I couldn't meet them. Like they would like they would exclude me from group projects and they would like force me in the group and uh, groups of other people who they can who they consider disabled, which is very unfortunate and biased. That's what my group that's what my school school did. My classmates did they exclude and discriminate against people. As you're saying about like the educational system then it's like says something that originally the teachers didn't uh, think of like getting in the educational assessments or like some 
some level of support, as you say, you would put of uh, children who were like struggling in school and, you know, like what are like learning disabilities and difficulties. But yet, as you were saying, that the, the table you probably sitting at was like place of like those who needed the extra bit more help. But from more you stating that the group of people you were sitting with didn't get that much help from like a support assistant or any teaching assistants and they, there was no accommodations getting in place. And as for like, when you think about like schooling systems, it can be quite important setting you up for the, like university, like getting the skills to go into a workplace. So I guess from that, you know, it did have a very large impact on you get your like starting into adulthood. Yeah, they were like, I just really wish that disabled people could get more support they needed and that the education system would honor disabled people's needs to take breaks to just like and just to like accommodate and just get accommodations including extra like time on tests and just like and just like being able to step out of the classroom whenever they need it to like, to like decompress. That's yeah. what I wish that the education system would do. Yeah, so are those the things that uh, you know were uh, you were invented? So if you was to go back and like go to uh uh, teachers in like states like going to a school and say like like uh, like I have apraxia and autism and like this is how uh, as an apraxic and autistic person I would need to help as a child and this is how you could help an apraxic and autistic person today well one of the main things would be telling them to uh, help an apraxic and autistic person or how we or like give them ideas of how you would uh, like to be in help then and how they could play that to other students. All right, so what I would do as an autistic and autistic person, I would just like tell them, just, I would just like say, I would just give them advice to advocate for breaks. And when they're meeting people say that I'm autistic and a practice so that people, so that they can immediately read out those, so that they can immediately get rid of those who like would discriminate against their disabilities. Also, another piece of advice would be saying that they're like being straight up and saying, if you need me to repeat something, please let me know. I have a speech disability, which makes it hard for me to talk. And then they could say, then the person could be, I'm also autistic, so sometimes I miss social cues. So please do not feel bad if I misread some of if you if I misread part of what you're saying. And if you and if and if I seem to misread misunderstand something. Please like, clarify or repeat yourself. That yeah. is some advice I'll give. As you say, it's important. So, like, you know, like then making sure people know that, like, making sure that teachers know that, making sure kids are comfortable with asking for help and ask, ask, being able to, like, ask the teacher and be confident that they'll have the help that they need, as you say, not if, like, you need that thing repeated again. So, like, you'll be able to. Make sure you be able to notice if a child's struggling and repeat that thing if they need to. And as you were saying about like devices, and as you say, you're not like apraxia affects you verbally. So would that be like me offering or like considering like like with educational uh, statements whether like assessment of an apraxic person like like yourself who has verbal apraxia need certain like AAC devices or communicative tools, but like 
things like that be helpful? Would you think they they would be helpful thing to say for people who are toxic? I definitely recommend AAC devices. That is something I wish I had growing up. And I also recommend I also recommend having people having people understand that that having people know that they that they may that they may need to repeat stuff to others because I found it, when I was growing up, I found it incredibly frustration, frustrating whenever I had to say the same thing over and over again. Even if I had to say it twice, twice I would cry. But yeah. I think I was new. I was just saying that, like, it's the mixture of having autism, uh, apraxia, and uh, sensory processing disorder, sensory processing issues, because as like I know you're saying with sensory processing, it can affect you of like finding things too loud, too bright. But in another way, it can affect you by thinking, or oh, like like how much amount of like like sound like somebody speaking to you and how much you're listening to and how much you can process that. So like sometimes I guess like if you got like audio processing difficulties, then if you get like five paragraphs speaking to you like a few minutes at a time, that every now and again you can miss a few words or miss a few steps. And it's quite a lot to process for you then. For, and I guess being able to mix mix with that, if you like a child's got sensory processing conditions, that can be quite slowed down and easily broken down and po- processed. Yes, and for, and for me, I do find it easier when chunks of information are broken down. Sometimes I have a really hard time understanding people, especially in loud rooms, because I can't decipher your people's words versus people's versus the, room, the noisy room, the background noise. And also I find that, it's, I also find that when I'm under a lot of stress, my speech gets way worse because like my mind literally shuts down on me and I can't really move my mouth very easily when I'm stressed. Yeah, I can understand that with stress because I guess like with having like multiple neurodivergent conditions, it's like when your brain's working on other things and trying to process what's going on in your environment and work through the stress and process emotions or process the environment around you then. You, uh, you aren't able to like focus on the words and like focus on the conversation to actually like make those words come down. So I guess then you find like your speech slows down and then you like, like it takes a lot more time to get your words out. Yes, like when I'm exhausted, it takes me forever to get my words out. And sometimes like when I'm like, talking to people, especially when I'm under a lot of stress, it's just like, I have a really hard time understanding people and people have usually have a hard time understanding me too because of just how long it takes me to say something. Important thing for them to know is that for like somebody who has your conditions that you know you're not going to be able to speak in the same way all the time and then sometimes if you're exhausted but burnt out and struggling some days or like some moments you you might be a bit less able to speak especially like if you're having like meltdowns panic attacks certain bits of stress and then that's the time I guess you would need like certain tools to help you like communicate that uh, you know like and relying on speech itself. That is correct. And when I'm like, and when I'm downright stressed, and when I'm downright stressed, I can barely talk. And also for viewers, what I do when I'm stressed is I'm I tend to just this is how people can hear me really stressed right now. So 
It may yeah. be really hard to understand me. As you were saying then, you know, with that, then it can be quite, like, struggle with your speech. Is there, like, apraxia? Is it just very blatant apraxia or you have all this effect in any other parts of your areas of all you can do? Is it just a verbal apraxia you experience or is it a retreat to the apraxia that you experience that and uh, relates to like speech and communication? It is actually oral motor apraxia because a verbal apraxia from what I remember is it like really hard time like finding the right words, words to say but oral motor apraxia it is really hard for me to pronounce. I know that, I know how to say the right words, but it's really hard for me to pronounce the words. And I guess sometimes uh, difficulties of like difficult words, like a speech condition, then it is a bit difficult to get, get out. And so, it is. and I guess then, you know, when you're like telling people you have apraxia and when there's different types of all the stands of apraxia, yeah, you can experience that and that well as something like dyspraxia, then, you know, like it can probably then be quite hard or confusing to explain that and to make sure other people fully understand yeah. that. You know, where it's hard to just say, oh, this just affects my speech and how I do all the both things and, like, communicate stuff. Whereas, as you say, with, like, a various epoxy, you can affect how, like, certainly the body moves. And so, like, I guess then, like, ex- explaining it then or making people sure how people understand your needs then can be quite challenging, is it? Yeah, it's definitely frustrating. They have to constantly explain myself. Yeah. And it definitely makes it really, really hard to get through life because when I try when I try talking, when I try talking to when I try making friends, people think people automatically assume that I'm very young and immature. And that's why I have that's why I have very few friends. Yeah. And as I said, and probably like from your struggle with uh, family trauma to like starting a like needing to start a new life and then all that I guess like with your own family trauma struggles then and your personal struggles then with mental health and uh, with your own neurological conditions and I guess there's been multitude of things that uh, like made struggles and challenges for your social life. Family trauma has really amplified my my struggles and challenges because not only am I stressed out from being disabled and trying to navigate society as a disabled individual, now I'm trying to get through life. Now I'm trying to get through life as like somebody without a family support or a support system. Like not support, not friend, not friends. I mean, like to say, a family support system. So it's been like that's why it's been so hard to get through life, and especially when you can't, when nobody takes you very seriously. It makes it way harder. As I understand, probably like it's only recently you've been able to like record from a place where you probably le- feel either feel less manipulated or like in a safe space where you can like, start to talk openly and work, work on talking about your experiences and hopefully. You'll, can start to gain a bit better space for yourself. So I guess it's only recently that you started to feel comfortable talking about these things. And uh, do you find yourself in a position now where you're starting to have any like people around you that you can rely on to talk about these things, or or like find a like a network of friends and support and starting to build a social life. I do have people who I can talk to and I'm currently in a very comfortable situation where I can openly talk about these disabilities and my struggles without, without receiving judgment. 
it's one of the best feelings ever, just knowing that I'm no longer around people who are so judgmental about my life and my decisions. And, you know, when you, uh, as you said, when you started the uh, Apex Story blog, you know, that came from, like, a mother who trying to force you into it, you know. And what do you say now with that, you know, because you're still posting on it now when you're still sharing your story, have you now been able to do that as a more empowering uh, space to start saving for yourself and has that been able to now start to help you connect with people making you feel less alone and talking to other yeah. people about the experiences with apraxia and autism and stuff like that yeah running a practice story really does go to community and i'm so grateful to have met you i really enjoy a practice story because I'm able to find others, others who are going go through similar situations and I'm just able to make connections, which is one of the most amazing things ever. Yeah, as it's hard, as it's very still today, it's very difficult and feels quite impossible to in real life, you know, find without like the tools of the internet and social media, it's hard to find the people I can connect with uh, similar uh, difficulties and disabilities then. And I guess for yourself, it's important, it's been important to find people you can start to talk about these things with. I totally agree that it's where that community is one of the most important things to get through the world as a disabled individual. Just a community who understands you and your disabilities. Yeah. It just like really it's like goes like so far. You just feel so supported and so loved in the world where, where you in the world where you get discriminated against so much. Yeah, I'd say it's bit, like probably been a vital part in you starting to feel safe in yourself and being able to find space of advocating for yourself and understanding and finding I guess ways that like before you never been able to find ways of like self-support or think or like different tools. That could help you, uh, you know, like, like deal and handle your your uh, conditions, whether that's bipolar, autism, sensory processing, or apraxia. And I guess finding those ways of coping or, like, uh, you know, with those working with those disabilities and conditions is a uh, like very forward in, in your uh, story and journey. Sorry, but can you repeat your question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was just. Just stating, asking me if it's like being a part of your story and journey, being able to find ways of like learning different skills and tools of how to move forward. And so like, I guess, as like connecting with people, giving you like tools to think of how to move forward and work on doing things with like uh, your bipolar and improving your mental health and apraxia as well and stuff like that. Yes. For my, for me, my best, for me, the supports I wish I had were an AAC device, and I also wish that I also wish that that people would be like more willing to see, would be more willing to understand that somebody's intellect is not based off somebody's ability to articulate. That's what I'm telling people straight up is saying like, I may not sound very mature, but I'm 23 years old and I just enjoy a wide range of subjects. Another support I wish I had was people was people who like, would be willing to like, sit would just be willing to like, sit there very patiently just to understand me, which goes a very long ways. And another support consists another support I would really love to have is sometimes like it's like just the ability to like, write on my phone and like have my phone read out what I'm trying to say. 
especially when I'm very tired or stressed. Yeah, and then, like, as we, like, talked about, like, what, what would help you in school now, you know, for, as you know, like, you, like what would help you, like, as you, we, like, going forward and, like, what advice would you give to whether it's, like, an in, interview or, like, somebody who's trying to employ a person or an employer and doing the workplace, what would make things uh, work best for you as an autistic person uh, or as an apoxic person in the workplace and in interviews? That is a really good question. For me, the best thing is to do is to ask not to be at the cash register because talking to customers all day is exhausting. Exhausting. I also would ask if I was like me, do you only do stockroom stuff? They're only and they're working in the back. Like if I was to work at a restaurant, I'd ask to do dishes, and also I'd ask to do like I'd also ask to do like ask to do like ask to stock the stock room, face the shelves, and just like put inventory on the shelves too. I'll 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 clean the I'll clean the stock. Anything but being a cashier. Yeah, as you're saying, it's important to look at the uh, skills a person has and what like abilities and things you can do and make sure that you are able to be put in a situation where you can like do some like do something you can thrive at and work best and as you say that you know it's important to hire people like considering their needs and like finding the best job in a workplace that they can thrive at and do the best at. I agree. And and I also do find yeah, and I also do like find that that when it comes to jobs, that it, even though it's really hard to get employed right now, is to try to find a job that 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 matches your that matches your sensory processing, that matches like your that matches your that matches like that just matches your like, abilities. Like for example, for me when I was working at a major retail store, it meant it did not vibe or click very well because the store was too brown too bright too loud but instead i'm going to be walking looking to walk at a small retail store where it's less overstimulating yeah and uh, as you like say that like probably like retail stores or stores or like spaces like that are probably like easier to sometimes get a job in but as you're saying it's not always the best environment for any more divergent person to work in and it's as you're saying the like all, all places need to consider how to be inclusive and accessible to disabled and neurodivergent people to work in and how they can find in these spaces and this is something that to be considered ahead of the interviews and something that people interviewing should have any minds on how to uh, I guess be compassionate towards. I agree. And I unfortunately do have to go in a few minutes because I forgot okay. that I had an appointment. Yeah, okay, so if you could uh, quickly wrap up. So what do you want people to take away from this interview? Thank you so much for asking. What I want people to take away from this, from this podcast is that even is that adoption trauma is real and that your emotions are valid. Even if somebody, even if people, even if people say, well, you should be thankful that you are adopted. Well, your adopted family did not owe you anything and you not owe your adopted family anything either. It's, I know, I messed, oops, I messed that up. It's like, you do not owe your adopted family anything and you like, and but your adopted family owes you, but your adopted family does owe you a shelter, love, emotional support because when you have a child, that's what you agree to. Then, and, 
Yeah, carry on. So I let you say... Oh, no, carry on with what you're saying if you've got another point to add. And then I said... Then I would also say another big takeaway from this podcast is I would really love people do not judge someone's intellect based off their ability to speak. It is like, and that's also, and I also really hope that in terms of finding jobs that employers, I really wish that employees would look past somebody's disabilities, but rather look at somebody's skill levels and skill set and their ability to, and their ability to work in that specific environment rather than like write them off as disabled or incapable. That is like the big three things I really want people to take away from our interview today. Oh, thanks. And so, is there anything else you want to, uh, like, say before the podcast ends, or is there any way off, like, things you want to promote or tell people better to follow you on social media just before wrap up this conversation? All right. So, I've, so you can thank you so much for letting me talk talk about my social media. Thank you so much. So, yeah. on social media, you can follow my Facebook page. It's called Apraxia Story. A P R X. Oh no, A P R A X I A, a practice story. That is where I post most of my, that's where I post most stuff about adopting trauma, what it's like living as an artistic and a practical individual, and my, and how it's like finding a job as a, as a disabled individual. That is like, that is where you can follow me. Oh, uh, well, make sure I'll add into the show notes of this episode. And uh, uh, thanks again for Tessa for coming on. This is, was a great interview and when I was happy to book with her, I was I booked it on the back of seeing them uh, say the uh, story of Apraxia on Facebook with the blog Apraxia story and it has helped me learn a lot about Apraxia. Being dyspraxic, I would know a lot about dyspraxia but not what it sounds like, Apraxia and it was quite good to educating myself as I want to be able to use this as a platform where I expand and talk about different variants of and variations of being neurodivergent and with conditions like apraxia that I don't have myself and hopefully that can better educate people as I said learned a bit about today in this place and it is quite good to discuss like the differences between a dyspraxia and praxia and different signs, treats and symptoms to notice. If you got any more on this subject that you would like to share, you can uh, go by the usual, you know, roads of sending an email to neuropodcast at avocreo.com. You can find that spelt out in all the po- previous podcast episodes. That's AA. O-C-R-E-O dot com and you could uh, contact uh, uh, me via Instagram at New Rainbow Project same with Facebook you can also join our new Facebook group which is uh, the New Rainbow which is New Rainbow Club just so exciting on Facebook and you can join that and hopefully we can start having conversations on Facebook as the uh, like the free platform to, to start engaging with uh, uh, topics discussed on the podcast and as well for those who can send any questions feedback and things you would like me to discuss and guests you want to have on the podcast i uh, got got plenty of guests who lined up to play catch up with so like Luke Poulter and you got 
Sarah Rosebibs, Rachel Rinder, Phil Evers, I think. And yeah, so we'll be playing cards, probably you can get a run out quickly and soon. And as I said, you can contact through the previous routes and send feedback. Also, would like you to like, like, rate, comment, and share on, you know, wherever you get the podcast, as I'll help more people to find this. And hopefully, you can get um, more listeners as well to get the listener figures up and get more people listening to this podcast and interacting with it. Also, as well, just to mention, I'm searching the new Rainbow Project on YouTube and they started putting up some free videos uh, of the podcast and you can find some videos of that on the Patreon channel but I'll try to chuck some of that stuff in on the, uh, in t- on the episode descriptor where we get the podcast underneath the, this episode give you some more details for all that and so thanks here for tuning in Another episode coming soon, and as I would say, this is Autistically as new Cast Podcast, the podcast uh, by the uh, uh, audio for new new Rainbow Project, produced and presented by me, Aaron Williams. So that's that, and thanks again.